Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. I was amazed because of the fact that that was really the wrong <laughs> response to reading. Pat and I worked on that whole morning, thought we had it fixed. But in God's wisdom, the way he used Jeff Brothers this morning, it works out for the better. Jeff used Matthew uh, chapter 20, uh, and I'm going to be looking at Mark 10, 45, but basically said the same thing. And that is, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So when you look at our title of the day's message, the supreme example of spiritual leadership, there are two words essential for a better understanding of today's message. Now, Jeff gave you uh, one on spiritual, and I'm going to add something to that. But let's look at this first word, supreme. The word supreme has several applications, but basically it means this, highest in rank. You know, Jeff talked about a general, but that's someone higher than a general, and that's the president, but highest in rank. The other word is also chief. And even in the Bible, sometimes we think of chief, we think of Native Americans, but chief is even in the Bible, which means the head of the tribe, no one's above him. Another word that is used is foremost. Foremost. I really like the word superior here because there's nothing, when you say superior, that's all there is. And the final word I want to bring when we talk about supreme is the greatest. The greatest, and I started to use that as a title as well. Now, the second word is spiritual. It's spiritual. Now, spiritual implies, and, and this, this is what, what I, it's basically the same thing that Jeff said, but here's what I want you to understand. Sensitive to divine prompting or stimulation. And that is, that is opposite of the next meaning, which is not prone to yield to call of fleshly influence. Let me give you one example about that. When Jesus says, if your enemy strikes you on one cheek, the spiritual implication is you're supposed to turn that cheek. But in the flesh, if anybody hits you, you react in the flesh. So you know when you're not spiritual, when sometimes you're supposed to be forgiving folks, and you're not forgiving them, you are in the flesh, you are not in the spirit. A point that was brought out this morning, faith development, we have to view things through the eyes of God. And we're going to be a body of people that spiritual, especially leaders, we're going to have to view everything through the eyes of God. And the eyes of God is not the eyes of man, so you're going to most often not see it that way, and you ain't going to want to do it. The Bible describes a spiritual leader as one who possesses a God-given gift to lead others as directed by the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. This is, this is what, 
you glean from the Bible if you look at spiritual leadership. One who, first of all, possesses the gift to lead. Now, I believe that's in uh, Romans 12 or either 1 Corinthians 12. But it says, as directed by the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Even in the church at Corinth, they had the power to do something, but it was not under the authority of God. And that was the time that people were speaking in tongues, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were doing it in the wrong manner, so they didn't have the authority. All right, give me another example. The most popular handgun among law enforcement is a Glock 40. I think I'm right there, uh, Sergeant Grace. And Sergeant Grace has one, but he also has a shirt on, a badge on, and an ID card that authorizes him to use that power if it's necessary. But he ain't the only one that got Glock 40. Most of these guys you see on the block, they got, got Glock 42. They got the power to make you submit, but they don't have the authority. And again, while spiritual leadership involves the many principles as, I'm going to call it general leadership, spiritual leadership has certain distinctive qualities, and get this now, that must be understood and practiced. Because sometimes we understand stuff, we just don't practice it. Uh, in other words, we understand what the Bible says about marriage, but do we practice it? We understand what the Bible says about sexual immorality, but do we practice it? We know what the Bible says about forgiveness. We know this, but do we practice it? I don't know why I'm hitting on forgiveness, but somebody needs to get it. There are certain principles of spiritual leadership that must not only be understood, must be practiced if that leader is going to be successful. And in prayer and meditation, I came up with five. Came up with five. Are you ready? For those that take your notes, and I suggest even every leader will use these things. First of all, the spiritual leader recognized their role in the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm going to say it again. The spiritual leader recognized that their role in the church is to equip the saints for ministry for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4. If you're a spiritual leader and you ain't doing this, you ain't leading. That's your whole purpose. Hold on, Dad. Coming back to something similar to that. Number two, a spiritual leader, or the spiritual leader, has to depend on the Holy Spirit. They are aware of their own limitations. A spiritual leader knows they cannot produce spiritual change in people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Get that through your head, Dave. As much as I might try, I can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. But here's the key, leaders. A spiritual leader can't affect non-spiritual people. In other words, if you're a spiritual leader in church, 
You ain't going to have no effect on the unsaved until they get saved. If they don't get saved, y'all going to be on different wavelengths. Now, we're all familiar with communication devices. We, some may have iPhones, some may have Android, Sam, Sun Sam. Some might be have carrier ATT. Some may have uh, Verizon. And even I in there, some may have Cox, some may have uh, different things, and even the, the last thing about like Yahoo, Gmail, and all these things. They're all devices that communicate. But I can't talk to you unless you've got a phone. I can't text you if you ain't got no phone. And sometimes as spiritual leaders, what we're trying to do, we're trying to communicate with people that ain't got nothing to receive what we're saying. Want to know why the church ain't full? You really want to know? That's it. We, 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 we ain't on the same wavelength. This day, not only communion Sunday, but every day ought to be important enough for you, you ought to be excited to come. But if you don't have a relationship with the one that we come here to serve, your desire is going to be dwindling. Number three, a spiritual leader knows it's essential to create a spiritual atmosphere, and get this now, where followers experience a sense of calling and knowing that their lives have purpose, knowing that life has meaning, and knowing that they can make a difference. That's the atmosphere we ought to create. And we can't create that without some type of fellowship and relationship with that individual. And again, I'm going back to this thing about if, if they're not spiritual, you ain't going to be able to connect with them. Now, we, 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 we have a, a policy here that when people unite with this church, they supposed to profess Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, which means you got the spirit. Just because everybody come and do it don't mean they got it, don't mean they saved. People unite with fellowship for different reasons. Some in error believe that joining the church is going to save them. Some just looking for a place to get married to get buried in. Some just looking for a place to put it on their resume that I am a church member at XYZ Church. But they don't have a relationship with the one that established the church and the spiritual leader cannot affect them. Number four, the spiritually understand their task, and, and, and again, going back to the same thing, a spiritually task is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Hmm. To move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Those of you that are parents, Know that raising children in this time and age is not easy. But let me ask you a question. Do your child like everything that you say or do, even though you're doing it for their good? Something as simple as a diet. Do you give the child, let's say a three-year-old, everything they want? 
Or do you give them what you think is best for them? See, when it comes to spiritual leadership, one of the problems we got, we try to please people. Some of the things, some of the answers we give, some of the relationship we have, is not in their best interest. We are scared to, to, to rub shoulders, not rub shoulders, but to irritate folks by telling them some things they may want to hear instead of what does said the Lord. I mean, the scripture is plain. Hebrews 10, 25 says, fail not to assemble yourself. It tells us to bear one another burden. The scripture is plain, but again, we got to have that mind of God. No, spiritual leadership is not, he's not a popularity contest. But yet we sometimes trying to be popular because we want to grow the church. We don't want to offend the church. Offend, offend members, I say. Because this is a free country. You don't have to be a member here. You can go to another church. I understand that. But there ought to be a reason that you're here. You ought to feel a sense of calling. You ought to have a sense of purpose. A sense of meaning and knowing that you can make a difference when God makes a difference in you. Again, the fourth one, spiritually understand their task is to move people from where they are to where they want them to be. How many of you got kids that ain't in college, but you really would like for them to go to college, some technical school or vocation school? Talking to, to Abel today. They, you know, Abel, was a, in my mind, was an outstanding football player. I went to some, see some of his games. But he said he's done with that. He said he got to study now. <laughs> Do you let your kid do what they want to do? Yet they, you say you want them to go to college, but you, they, they ain't never got no homework. You never see them study. And every time they want to go somewhere, you let them go. Knowing, and I don't know if you guys know, y'all know how much it costs to go to college now? And we spend all money, and now you better be saving. <laughs> Everybody's not going to get a scholarship. you got to move them where they are to where they need to be in the same thing in church. If we see someone that's a little car, someone that's slipping, someone that's not moving, it's our job as spiritual leaders to move them from where they are to where God wants to be. That's what is called faith development. But faith development should not just be at an MPG on Sundays and Wednesday. It needs to be in the home as well. And it don't need to be done just by two or three people. All the leaders should be doing that. People, leaders who have failed to move people to God's agenda have not led. They may have exalted, pleaded, embarrassed, pressured, or bullied, but they have not led. And I admit, I have been really guilty of this sometimes. Especially in the embarrassment side, trying to embarrass people so that they would be better service of God. Even tried to pressure people so they'd be better service to God. But that's not leading. 
which leads us to our fifth one. The spiritual leader leads by example. And none of the other four matters if you ain't got number five right, and that is lead by example. If it's not practice, you can scratch the other four. And this point is brought out in our two scriptures that we had today, either in theme, develop, theme commentary or in, in the uh, month of reading. Now, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or John, all of these passages deal with the events just before Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Now, I want you to get this because it's a trying time for Jesus. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's been trying to get this message to his disciples, but they missed it. In Mark, as well as Matthew, disciples had misinterpreted Jesus' words about the kingdom to come. Jeff brought this out. Assuming that it would be an earthly kingdom, the mother of John and James, Miss Zebedee, asked Jesus to appoint them to a prestigious position. It's something like when you become governor, since we uh, we vote for that, anyway, make my son to be secretary of state and secretary of treasury, the two highest positions. Jesus heard this, and, and, and Jeff is right, the other disciples got upset. So now you have problems in the camp. You have problems in the camp because now somebody who was in the leadership position of Jesus' administration decided they wanted a jockey for positions. And Jesus said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, y- y'all come here a minute. Y'all come here a minute. And I'm going to be reading from Mark 10, starting at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. In other words, I'm the man. And don't you forget it, I'm the man. And their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, I'm the man, you do what I say. Verse 43, first word, but... It shall not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you must be your servant. Wow. 44. And whosoever will be first among you must be slave to all. Man, that ain't a kick in your pride and ego. I don't know what it is. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Oh, stop right there. Come come to the last verse in a minute. We can learn from this that the role of spiritual leadership is first and foremost that of a servant. Now, what did I say? Is that of a what? Two words in the church associated 
with leadership are ministers and deacons. Both of these words have their origin in the Bible. But the full implication of both of these words, minister and deacons, escape those who bear them, most of them. In the original language, the word is diakonos. And the basic meaning of diakonos, which we get both words, minister and deacon from, is one who serves. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gave the disciples disciples an example of what it meant to be one who serves. It is a supreme example of spiritual leadership. Are you ready? John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand, he come from God and was going back to God. Rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If you don't really understand the history behind this, you'll miss this whole point. Feet washing was a task of a slave. Wearing sandals, as most people did, other than that, they were barefooted like a slave. The feet of everybody in the Bible days would get dirty and dusty. Sometime if they stepped in the animal feces, you can imagine what that was like coming into the house. So the slave would immediately begin to cleanse their feet. But when no slave was available, this responsibility fell to the lowest in rank or the youngest. John, the writer of this gospel, was the youngest. And it may explain why John is the only writer that I could find that dealt with feet washing. Y'all remember what was the issue here? Why did Jesus say what he said in Mark? There had to be an issue with pride. If John and James wanted to be next to Jesus in his kingdom, they didn't consider themselves as lower than the other disciples. So here we are. We're in the upper room. Jesus preparing to have uh, the Last Supper. And nobody, none of the twelve, gets up because there was no slave there. And perform this necessary but demeaning task of washing feet. But to their amazement, Jesus gets up, takes a servant or a slave garment, a towel, ties it around his waist performs a servant or a slave task by pouring water into a basin and then proceeds to watch each and every one of the disciples' feet 
even though Peter protested when Jesus began to say, you have no part of me if I don't wash this feet. That's a different message. But Jesus was modeling the true servant style of leadership by bending down and washing the feet of the disciples. And after giving this object lesson in humility, the Lord asked the disciples a question to show the significance of his action. And we're looking at right here a leader knows that he leads by example. And you have to ask yourself, if I want those people that follow me to do exactly like I do, how many will be late? How many will not come? I'm just saying what the Bible, you are an example. Let's continue in John 13 since y'all don't got some quiet on me. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. King James says master and Lord. And you are right. For so I am. Verse 14. If then I, your Lord and teacher or master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Remember, this is the task of a slave. The lesson Jesus taught is one practical. He's teaching them that he is their master, as their Lord. If he was willing to humble himself to do the work of a servant, they should be willing to do the same thing for others. Get this now. He was teaching them that leadership is measured by a willingness to serve others. Let me clear up something. I want you to go out here and think something that's not true. Jesus said that he was giving them an example. He expected them to follow the example. But his service was an example, not an ordinance. Say it again. It was an example, not an ordinance. An ordinance is something that he wanted his followers to do. It wasn't something he wanted his followers to do. He wanted them to learn what it meant to be a servant. He was really saying it was not about feet washing. It's about the attitude of the heart of a spiritual leader. That is why we don't wash feet, because it's not an ordinance. It's just an example. It wouldn't make any difference. We could have all the feet washing service that we want to. Each one of the deacons and the ministers could wash everybody's feet. But if their heart ain't right, it ain't doing no good. 
Now, some of you may able to relate to this. When I was young, I do a, called myself an athlete, tried to play everything, wore a lot of tennis shoes with socks, and they sweated. Anybody ever had been wearing a shoes all day and you get before somebody and take them off? Your feet stink. Not stink, they stink. Now that may be the same with some of them. Can you imagine somebody coming in here with sandals on and, you know, they, they ain't got the problem. I ain't got no problem washing your feet. But that individual came in here with them gym shoes on. So it don't, that ain't what it is. It's a matter of the heart. Let me go ahead and get to the point of the message so we can move on. This is why the leaders of our church serve the members' communion. A lot of people say, well, you know, some people can do it. But it's supposed to be the leaders, because that's the example, serve communion. Y'all follow me now? Okay. It's not about, and and, and I, I put this out here for a reason. It's not about wearing a badge. It's not about wearing a collar. That ain't why we do it. These are the Attire of a servant. It's like going to a restaurant and you see an individual with an apron on. You know that they're supposed to be waiting on you. This represents a yoke, a collar, as worn by a dog. That when it is on, you know I'm under the authority of God. It ain't something that you pat me on the back about. Even though there's some people that can't wait to wear them and you want it. This is a sign to tell you if you need serving, see me. That's what it should be about. And we seek these for any other reason. Just to be wearing them because we want everybody to say I'm minister so and so. Or I'm deacon so and so. Or I'm whoever, pastor so and so. It really means that we are not a spiritual leader. Clothes we wear are signs of servants. And we need to get our mind right before we can serve right. Now, your job, if you're not a leader, is to obey them that have that rule over you so that they can do their job with joy and not grief. I want to close by going back to Mark 10.45. I think it's Matthew 20.28. It says this. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
A ransom is the price paid for someone who has been stolen into slavery. In the Garden of Eden, that old serpent tricked us and stole us into slavery. And we were kidnapped, you can call it. But Christ came and paid the ransom. Now the question is this. Since the ransom has already been paid, why are you still kidnapped? The Bible lets us know if you're a servant of sin, then sin rings over you. But Christ has died and paid the ransom. So why? Aren't you free? That's a question that you have to answer. But you can get free by knowing the one that paid the ransom. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information service times or directions to our place of worship.